It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Can we live our lives more fully, knowing someday we will die? Barbara Becker, an ordained interfaith chaplain and human rights activist, tested the ancient wisdom of living with the end in mind by allowing death to become her teacher. She joins us today to discuss how we can explore our curiosity and learn to live life to the fullest. Barbara is the author of the book, Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you so much for joining us. It is such a pleasure to be with you, Joan. So, Barbara, this topic of thinking about our death, you know, being mindful of our mortality can be frightening for many people. What made you begin the quest of answering the question, can thinking about death make us live our lives more fully? This journey really began for me when my earliest childhood friend, Marissa, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, She was just 30 years old, and I observed in the last year of her life how beautifully she actually lived. It was extraordinary to me. I mean, she married her college sweetheart. She, between chemo treatments, took a trip to Italy with her family, which was their homeland, Um, and she just lived with intention, spending time with with dear friends and her cats. And in the meantime, I was an anxious mess. Um, I was worried about Marissa. I thought about my own mortality. And I was worried about my parents, who I still had at that time. So I did what I usually do when I'm faced with a big question, which is I start reading everything about it. And I discovered that wise people throughout time, from the Buddha to the Stoic philosophers like Marcus Aurelius and Seneca to Henry David Thoreau, they've all implored us to live as if we're going to die, to live with the end in mind rather than running away from our mortality. Mm-hmm. And I started to take that on in my life and discovered that it is really transformational to live that way. When we are facing our mortality, when we have a diagnosis similar to Marissa's, how do you think she was able to make those life changes? Because many of us may shut down and spend that time in fear. I think what happens for Marissa and what happens for so many people is that when their future story is taken away from them because they're not going to live much longer, they realize that the only place to truly be is in the present. And that 
is not necessarily a beautiful place to end up. Like it, it's a quick and painful discovery that we are going to die oftentimes. But when people have the opportunity to settle into it, and when they're given a lot of support and they're given the gift of people who are present to their experience rather than trying to change it or brush it under the rug, um, beautiful things happen. And people really start living in a way that is more full than they say they have ever lived before. Yeah, and I, I would have to agree because I remember when I was younger, you know, you don't give a whole lot of thought to the end of your life. You just think you're going to live forever. And it really doesn't cross your mind that you may not have a lot of time left. But now that I'm getting older, you do start to appreciate things more. You take everything with such, you know, you look at it with such a sense of gratitude and awe because you have more time behind you than ahead of you. And I, and I really do think it does transform the way that you end up living your life. Yes. You know, while I was doing research for the book, I came across a commencement speech by Steve Jobs from Apple. And he was dying an early death of cancer. And he actually said that death is the single best invention of life because it's life's change agent. He, he meant that it really does have the power uh, to put our priorities in perspective. It is a good way to live your life without having the diagnosis, you know, and, and I agree with your work because when we can start to take everything that we do with such, and I keep using the word awe because that's what life really is, when we can see life with this just beautiful um, journey that's laid out for us. I, I really do think it changes everything. And that's what I've tried to do for the past decade or so. I went through a lot of trauma and a lot of loss, and I wasn't really seeing anything beautiful in my life before then. And it really took being brought to my knees to start to appreciate everything that I have and everything that I do. When I graduated from college, I went and taught English in Japan for a couple of years. And I learned something there that has really stuck with me, which is an ancient form of repairing broken, valuable pottery. Mm -hmm. So when a piece of pottery breaks, what we usually try to do is to glue it so that you can never see the cracks. But what they did in Japan was they put gold into the bonding so that it emphasized the cracks. It's called kintsugi. And what I love so much about it is that those cracks in life, the place where we are at our knees, as you said, are the places of our uniqueness and the places where we have so much wisdom and depth if we just tap into it. I learned about that early on in my transition, Barbara, because I was trying to put the pieces back together exactly the way they were, and you can't do that. And I did learn that sometimes when you put the pieces back together, they can be put back together more beautifully. And that is a really important lesson, and I'm so glad you brought that up. It sure is. There is so much magic in art and also, I think, in metaphor. 
you know, we find all of these beautiful examples from being out in nature. You know, we, uh, Henry David Thoreau said that the autumn leaves, they teach us how to die. And heartwood itself is a metaphor that I discovered in nature that helped me so much. Why do you think so many of those teachers knew about this back then? Why do you think that this was so important in their teachings? Well, in the case of Buddhism, which I really became attracted to during the course of really looking at loss in my life, um, monks were actually sent out to what was called charnel grounds to sit with bodies that were decomposing or were being consumed by vultures and wild animals. And the idea was that they were to look at this and to say, you know, this will happen to me too someday. Like I am of the nature to grow old, to become ill and to die. And I think back in those days, there was much more presence of death in contrast to what we do here, um, in, you know, in the United States where, where I live. Um, we put bodies under, like, heavy makeup if we're going to even show them. We, we put our elderly in homes. Um, you know, I know that sometimes that's the absolute best circumstance for a family, um, but uh, death is far away from us, and we've lost something mm-hmm. in pushing it aside. I interviewed a number of years ago a hospice nurse who had written a book about the process of dying, and I remember her telling me, we sterilize death. We, Like you're saying, we have removed it, where years ago it was part of life. People died in the home with the family around them, and it was a beautiful process in the scope of our lives. And and you've worked as well with hospice patients. Is that something that you've learned from doing that work as well? Yes. I, um, after Marissa passed away, I went to two Zen monks in New York City and um, became a student of theirs. They taught me how to be with hospice patients, how to be a compassionate presence at the bedside for people who are dying and for their family members. The thing about hospice is that you um, enter hospice if you have six months or less to live and you have agreed to not continue um, radical medical treatment. So people know that they are dying and there's a level of acceptance inherent in the very idea of hospice that allows um, for these conversations about looking back over one's life, doing a life review, um, and also talking about your legacy. What do you want to leave behind for your family members? It's also a time to um, seek forgiveness and to look at places where you might be grieving or in pain in your life. And uh, it can be a a wildly rich um, time in a person's life. Do you think that that's that piece, that that's a grace that's given to us while we're going through the dying process? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it is so hard to go through the dying process. I mean, there is there's no um, brushing over that. It's a, a time of pain and of exhaustion. And while hospice is incredibly beautiful and there are many grace-filled moments, and I write about so many of them in Heartwood, I also feel that we do better in our dying process when we start thinking about our mortality even before we learn that we're going to die. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a, a new movement called the Death Acceptance Movement, Um, where people are are really gathering in conversation with others. There's something called the Death Cafe, which is in over 80 countries around the world now, where strangers find out about meetings and they go and they have a cup of tea and some cake, because this came from England, and they, without an agenda, just Talk about death, anything they're thinking about, like what happens after we die, as in curious, um, or, you know, I'm afraid of this, or this happened when my aunt was dying. And I think the more that we take a risk and are vulnerable well before our final days, um, it just serves us really well when the time comes. And Barbara, this conversation became very personal for you. It wasn't just about your book because you were recently diagnosed with breast cancer. How has writing this book helped you with that journey? So I was actually having surgery for a brand new diagnosis of breast cancer on the very day that Heartwood came out. I mean, it felt like the ultimate where the rubber meets the road moment and um, what happened for me was was that when the doctor told me that I had breast cancer, instead of thinking, why me? I really, and it was a result of doing all of this writing and exploring, I really thought, why not me? I mean, this, this happens to absolutely everyone. Um, and at that face of mortality or, or they're, you know, in an accident, but there's some, there's some moment when you realize that you too are going to die. Fortunately for me, this was an early diagnosis and the prognosis is really good. But what it, what's happened is that um, I've turned to what the Taoists say is the world of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. I mean, we in our culture are so bent to look for the positive side of things, you know, look for the silver lining and, and to, you know, focus on our youth and the things that bring us joy. And that is wonderful. But we also have to look at the part where there are 10,000 sorrows as well and to learn how to dance between the two. You know, it's interesting because I am a believer that everything happens for a reason. And and through my deep faith, when you see what you just described that happened to you, I mean, what better teacher could there be? You've learned the lessons and you've also had to live the lessons. So I just think it's such a remarkable, quote unquote, coincidence of what happened to you. 
Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I um, I really believe in synchronicity. And um, it's when something goes outside the realm of just the statistical coincidence into like, oh, there's a lesson to be gleaned here. Mm-hmm. And I also feel in so many ways that this was an opportunity like from the universe to just take a look at what I had learned and just to push it a step further. Um, there was a, a beautiful teacher with a Hindu background in, in America called Ram Dass, mm-hmm. and many people are familiar with him. He was a, a teacher of impermanence and in our interconnection. And later on in his life, he had a debilitating stroke and he, He said there was a moment where it was like, oh, buddy, you think you know everything. Let's just put this on top and see what you have to learn from it. And in the end, he called it his stroke of insight. And, you know, Barbara, we all have that opportunity, no matter what challenge we go through, um, no matter what experience. Like you said, you've learned to look for those synchronicities and to see what positive can come out of it, what good. And that's what I've learned. That's why I do this work. This all came out of a lot of pain. But no matter what we each experience, we have the opportunity to turn it into something good. And then I think it starts by realizing our mortality, that we're not going to be here forever. And we have a limited amount of time to make an impact on this world. I think that's right. And there are even some psychological studies out there that say that taking walks in graveyards and cemeteries can be a tremendous way of putting our priorities and our goals into practice. It's, it is a practice that I myself love so much. I grew up across the street from a beautiful cemetery, and my childhood was spent taking walks there. And I like to think that some of that permeated my consciousness. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I have a brother who passed away when he was 14, and I was born right after his death. And so I, and and I'm Italian, so really going to a cemetery was just such a normal part of my upbringing because my parents visited my brother's site often. And, And really, I understand what you're saying because that part of life just seems very normal for me. Yeah, I really would recommend it highly. And We have a beautiful cemetery not too far away in New York City called Greenwood, and it's also an arboretum. So there are gorgeous trees growing all around the property. And, um, you know, maybe I should explain a little bit about the word Heartwood, which Mm -hmm. is the title of the book. And, you know, I had discovered after my parents died, and I, I was sort of searching around for some kind of symbol or way for it to make some kind of sense. And I was walking through a forest with my husband and I learned that the inside of every tree, um, there's a pillar, a, a strong, durable part of the tree that's prized by woodworkers. And that's called the heartwood. But what's really surprising is that heartwood is dead. It's inert, you know, it no longer participates in the flow of water and nutrients up and down the tree. But for the growth rings to grow around it and for the tree to thrive, it needs that dead core of heartwood. 
And I think we people are a lot like the trees. You know, your brother, my parents, they form our heartwood. They're part of the strengths that enable us to continue to grow. Barbara, would you share with us a lesson that you learned while writing this book? Something that's a a guiding principle for you every day. So Marissa's journey, um, especially the last year of her life, caused me to really think about the question, what would you do if you had one year left to live? And I have actually, on several occasions now in my life, gone and taken that on as like a New Year's challenge um, to really go month by month as if I had one year left to live. But even more vital than that sometimes is um, if I'm feeling a little bit stuck in, in that quest or journey, is to ask, what if this day were the last? day of my life or this hour or the last hour of my life like how would I um, spend that time like surely it wouldn't be looking at social media on my phone Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know being able to take a look and reframe the length of our time rather than thinking that we have forever which is sort of a very human thing to do to really, really narrow it down and to ask ourselves these essential questions. Barbara, I think we can also apply that to all of the little things that aggravate us so much every day. If we said to ourselves, if I had a year to live, would this even matter? And I'm sure the answer is always going to be no. Oh, that is so true. I just learned this morning how to block certain news stories from (laughs) my feed. (laughs) Because they really, they're just like candy and they weren't allowing me to really look at the you know, essential questions that I want to ask in my life. The book is Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind. If you'd like to get more information about Barbara and her work, you can visit com. Barbara, in about 30 seconds, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would love to leave people with the idea that we can start small. You know, we don't have to think about our mortality in terms of our death. But what about the everyday goodbyes when we say goodbye to somebody in our household who's going off to school or to the store? It's, it's much more palatable sometimes to just start tiny. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. It has really been a pleasure having you on the show. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and for sharing your wisdom based on the loss of your life. I really applaud you. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, CYACYL.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.